If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Hey, we made it through Thanksgiving and the holiday season is here. And what I thought I would do this week is just kind of random musings about the holiday season. Just kind of get you in the mood if you're not already in the mood. And, and I was feeling pretty good on Black Friday, first of all, because I got a residual from Frasier, which really allowed me to go in and buy a lot of expensive gifts for people that I might not have otherwise been able to do. That six cents that I got as a residual from Frasier really, really came in handy. Now, you know, everybody ate turkey on Thursday night for dinner, and I always wonder how many people, if anybody, had turkey on Wednesday night. (laughs) It's probably the one night that nobody had turkey turkey. And I have to say, this is obviously a very weird year. And hopefully you had a very safe and sane Thanksgiving. And usually, like everybody else, we try to have large gatherings and as many family members and friends as we can. We usually also invite a couple of strays. And this year, we cut it way, way, way down to just immediate family members who are in our bubble. But uh, there are certain things that I miss even more than large gatherings. And one of them was the Honeymooners Marathon. Now, remember, for many years, one of the local stations in most markets, certainly in Los Angeles, uh, would have the Honeymooners. And there was classic 39 episodes of the Honeymooners that you've seen a million times. But it was just so great to just watch them over and over and over again. I do miss the Honeymooners. Now, I could say that I missed the Macy's Day Parade, but the truth of the matter is, most of the years, I just sleep through it. We obviously, in Los Angeles, get it on a three-hour delay, and the one aspect of the Macy's Day Parade that I do miss is Al Roker interviewing NBC stars of their new hit TV series 
because in most cases by mid-January, early February, shows are canceled. Do you remember the stars from Outsourced? It's like they always bring these people in and you're going, who, who are they? And what is this show they're talking about? And it's always gone by January or February. <laughs> I, I also miss uh, Matt Lauer. Where's Matt Lauer? Yeah, Matt Lauer and, and Ann Curry are probably saying the only good thing about no longer being at NBC is we don't have to host the goddamn parade. I have been to New York a few times, and uh, I, I saw the parade once. And I'll be very honest with you, being a California boy, the idea of standing out there when it's 22 degrees and you're just crushed in a crowd of people, obviously they couldn't do it this year, but under normal circumstances, uh, that does not appeal to me. And one year we were in New York and uh, a friend had an apartment on 72nd and Central Park West. And he was on like the eighth floor looking out over the park, needless to say, hell of an apartment. And so he had like a party and we all came and had lox and bagel and it was nice and warm. And we looked out the windows and the parade went by. And that was that was a lot of fun. But to actually stand there, no, not me, not me. Although the rest of my family, like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm just too much of a princess. And um, I, you know, I've never been to the Rose Parade. You know, for me, I guess I'm just such a curmudgeon. The thought of getting up at three forty in the morning and schlepping on down there where there's uh, a million and a half people. It's on television. It looks great on television. Uh, the Rose Parade has been canceled for this year as well. And then there's the other parade, the Hollywood Lane Parade. And I've talked about this before, I think on the podcast, and I know in my blog and also my memoir. See, I'm just trying to push everything here. But there was a local parade in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, called the Hollywood Lane Parade. And it started, I believe, in the 40s, pretty much by the department stores in the area as a way to attract people to come down to Hollywood and do their Christmas shopping. And originally, the idea was that all of these Hollywood stars would be in the parade. And that's the way it was in the early days, Natalie Wood would be the Grand Marshal. You would get all these fantastic stars, Bogey and Bacall and everybody. They would be in fancy cars going down Hollywood Boulevard. And it was great. You got a chance to actually see Orson Welles or whoever was in the parade. But as the years went on and you got into the 50s, and all of a sudden it started being the stars from Outsourced from 1955, that that type of thing, and L.A.'s fringe characters like Gypsy Boots, who was like this weird, bizarre hippie guy, and uh, and like local kid show hosts, Little Oscar 
and uh, Skipper Frank and Tom Hatton and those kind of people. You know, you didn't have great stars. Monty Montgomery, who was like this cowboy who went to local elementary schools and uh, did tricks with his lasso, and you're like, oh, wow, it's pretty cool when you're six. But those were the stars. But the neat thing about the Hollywood uh, Lane Parade, my parents, I wanted to go, but my parents would never take me because to them to schlep all the way into Hollywood and to fight the traffic and all the crowds to see Gypsy Boots, it just made no sense to them. And I can certainly understand it, having never gone to the Rhodes Parade myself. But it was a local TV event for me. Originally, it was on the Wednesday night right before Thanksgiving. It was always great because you were out of school and you knew you had like a four-day weekend and you get to watch this parade. And it was on local channel, Channel 11, KTTV here in Los Angeles. And uh, Bill Welch used to host it. And Bill Welch would stand on the street with a microphone just calling out what was going by. And uh, he would like go out into the street and he would interview the stars as they came by. So he's interviewing Gypsy Boots. And he's interviewing Iron Eyes Cody and Money Montgomery, and these huge stars that probably now would qualify for dancing with the stars. But he would ask them questions like, well, so what are your plans for the upcoming year? Their plans for the upcoming year were to appear next year in the Hollywood Lane Parade. The parade, I think it moved to like the Sunday night of the Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, it was on in color and it was syndicated. And I think Bob Eubanks and Lee Merriweather hosted it for a while. I don't even know if it is still going. I am probably the only person to ask. I suspect that it's not around this year. Let's talk TV episodes, primarily sitcoms that dealt with uh, the season. The Cheers food fight episode for Thanksgiving that we did one year, I believe it's year four or five. It was a Diane year, I remember. Shelley Long was in it. And it's one of my favorite episodes, but I have to tell you, we took a raft of shit for that episode because people said, with all the hunger in the world, how can you do a food fight? And yeah, there's something to that, but what they didn't know is when you prepare a food scene for any television or movie set, you always have three or four entire versions of it in case you want to do another take. Well, we did one take of the food fight, and we had all of this food left over, terrific food, and we gave it all to homeless shelters. So as a result of the food fight, we actually fed hundreds of people. But the the groups protesting didn't know that. They just buried us as a result of that. For my money, the best Thanksgiving episode of any sitcom was uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. 
the thing with the turkey drop, which actually stemmed from a real incident of a radio station that didn't realize the turkeys don't fly. <laughs> they just dropped and, you know, killed people or whatever. The other thing that was so great about that episode was that it was different because so many of these episodes are all variations of the exact same theme. And you sometimes feel obligated or the networks obligate you to do these holiday Thanksgiving Christmas shows. And the the Thanksgiving shows are always a bitch because, again, it's pretty much the same thing where you have this big group of people and uh, it usually results in a big family argument and the stories are, oh, I forgot the turkey, oh, I burnt the turkey, oh, an unwanted guest has arrived, oh, we're going to make jokes about the jello mold again this year. Uh, oh, God, so many of the same type of stories, usually ending with unearned, touching, saccharine moments. And if the show is set in New York, then you also get to do shows about the parade. They're going to go to the parade. They can't go to the parade. It's raining on the parade. They got cold at the parade. They lost the kid at the parade. They forgot their turkey in the parade. Whatever. All of those shows, you have seen them all a million times. And I'm here to tell you, as hard as it is to come up with stories and as hard as it is to write these Christmas shows, it is way harder to direct them. Think about it. All of these shows generally center around a big Thanksgiving dinner. So you have 8, 10, 12 people around this big table. And especially if you're doing a multi-camera show in front of a live audience, well, do the math. You have four cameras. You have 12 people they're talking cross-talk to each other, back and forth. You got to get singles. You got to get two shots. You got to get masters. So you've got four cameras, 12 people, and you can't shoot the scene 17 times in front of the audience because they'll just leap over the bleachers and kill you. So you have to be so judicious. Also, there are the props. Like I said, you got all of this food and you got to have five turkeys and seven jello molds and stuffing and uh and the matching all of the glasses and the gravy boats and everything else and you know when you have to go back and do a scene again you got to make sure that the gravy boat is on the right side and not on the left side it's an absolute nightmare directing thanksgiving shows Also, it's become so much of a cliche. How many movies and plays take place on Thanksgiving? You know, family gatherings that all go bad and usually star Holly Hunter. Now you get to Christmas, and Christmas is even worse. So many stories that you've seen so many times. It's getting last-minute gifts. It's getting the wrong gifts. 
It's giving gifts to the wrong person. It's versions of the Christmas Carol with whoever your antagonist is playing the part of Scrooge. It's characters stranded and unable to get home for Christmas, being away on Christmas. This was every MASH Christmas show that we ever did. Chipping a tooth on a fruitcake. Let's see, what else? Needing a doctor on Christmas. Uh, Relearning for the one millionth time the meaning of Christmas. Will it be a white Christmas this year? Will they find that much-in-demand gift like the Cabbage Patch doll or whatever was the rage that particular year? Uh, Will mom and dad be unable to go to the school pageant slash Christmas sing? Directing the kids in the Christmas sing. The Jewish kid who feels left out. Someone injured putting up the Christmas lights. Try finding a doctor. Try getting into an emergency room on Christmas Eve. Someone having no work on Christmas. Someone having to work on Christmas. Volunteering at a homeless shelter. Uh, I'll get into that in a minute. The Thanksgiving shows just redone for Christmas. So on Almost Perfect, which is the show that I co-created along with David Isaacs and Robin Schiff for CBS starring Nancy Travis, we were on the air for two years and we had to tackle the problem of what do we do with Christmas shows. What we thought we would do that would be a little bit novel the first season is we would not deal with Christmas at all, but we would have Christmas decorations up everywhere. So it was clearly the holiday season, but we made no reference to it. The episode could have been about anything. Year two, we caved. We said, okay, come on, we really should do a Christmas show. Everyone does a Christmas show. And we fell into the worst trap possible. Because the trap we fell into was Nancy is going to volunteer at the homeless shelter. Oh, God, we never really got the story right. You know, you're dealing with these, you know, lovable, quirky, homeless people, and you're trying to wedge your characters in, and it's just so disingenuous and just awful. And I remember it being a horrible week. (laughs) We had the table reading, just died. So we went back and we wrote a whole new episode, pretty much. When you do that, I remember it's four o'clock in the morning and we're sitting up there proofing it and you've lost all objectivity by that time and you go, I don't know whether we solved this or this is a lateral move or this is worse. But you send it onto the stage and then you go home for your four hours sleep and when you come back, It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. The cast has been there since 9. The minute, the minute you walk into the office, there's a call from the stage. Um, Can you guys come down here? When you get that call, you know what that means. You are fucked. 
So you make that long trudge across the lot to the stage, and the cast isn't rehearsing. They're all just sitting there. And you walk in, and they look at you like you killed their puppy. This doesn't work. I don't know why I would do this. This is horrible. I don't know. You know, all of them. It's not just the stars, like everyone in the show. We didn't know if it was any good either. It's not like they were wrong. It's not like we were defending the material at all. It's not like we were saying, look, just show it to us because we believe in this. We think this works. No, we had no faith in it either. So we said, okay. We'll go back and do it again and again another late rewrite and then another late rewrite and most of the time by the time the show actually filmed we had solved it we had figured it out sometimes show was snake bitten and it took us all week other weeks it just worked like gangbusters from the table reading on couple of jokes you go home early But this was a horrible week. And we made, I believe, in total, 34 episodes of Almost Perfect. This was clearly the worst. And another thing about doing Christmas shows, they generally get plucked from syndication. So if you spend the time writing or directing a Christmas show, A... It doesn't air as often, which in the case of that almost perfect episode was a godsend. And B, you don't get paid as much because you don't get the royalties on the episode because it never played. Okay, so that's my rant on Christmas shows. A couple of other things before we end today. How many college football games have to be canceled due to COVID for the NCAA to finally stop putting these kids at risk and just shut it down already. I mean, it's one thing with the NFL. Those guys are getting paid a lot of money. So if they want to take the risk, they know what they're getting into, but they're making a lot of money. College kids aren't making any money playing football. And they're just getting ravaged i don't understand why the ncaa doesn't just shut it down it's not that important and finally i'm going to leave you with a touching christmas story this goes back to my radio days my checkered radio career 1974 I'm a disc jockey on a San Diego radio station called KSEA. The station's not doing too well in the ratings. We're getting killed by KCBQ. And I was unhappy being there. I had figured out that, you know, I really want to go to L.A. and be a comedy writer. I'm just tired of playing kung fu fighting five times a night. But it was a very tough situation for me because everyone at the radio station was really nice and they were very supportive. And I didn't want to obviously do anything to get myself fired. I would be entitled to and 
unemployment insurance, but I didn't want to do anything to get myself fired. So it was a matter of when I would quit. And this was now December. And I was thinking my plan had been when my birthday comes in mid-February, my birthday present to myself is that I'm going to quit and then I'll go up to L.A. and try my hand at becoming a television writer. So the rating period is like October, November, I think, or September, October, whatever. But the book comes out in mid-December. The rating book comes out. And the station did terrible. station got like a one share. And I got like a seven. And I'm thinking, oh, God, now I can't quit because... (laughs) It's like I'm the only one getting any ratings for the station. Oh, God, I'm stuck here forever. And then the program director called a meeting, mandatory staff meeting, 4 o'clock that afternoon. So we all arrive, and at the time I was doing evenings. I was doing 7 to midnight. We all arrive, and the program director says, Management has decided to change the format. To what? We're going to go all gospel. And somebody said, are they going to keep us or any of us? And I said, I'm Jewish. They ain't keeping me. That's for sure. We said, when is this going to happen? He looked at his watch and he went, uh, 45 minutes. (laughs) We're pulling the plug in 45 minutes. And that was it. And I was thrilled because it meant I was going to go to L.A. and try to be a TV comedy writer, which I think we have to uh, say, looking back, was a pretty good move. And here's the last point I want to make about that incident. Our promotion that year. Our promotion... That holiday season was Christmas the way it was meant to be. Yep, December 18th, everyone was fired. And that will do it for this week on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolfert, to Bruce and Jason Miller. Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine, I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And um, where else? Email. You can email me. Sure. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. It's scary out there. It's unbelievably scary. Vaccines are coming soon, but they're not here yet. The fact that vaccines are coming soon means it's not like we're going to have holiday seasons like this for five or six years. You just got to tough it out this one year. So if you don't travel, if you don't have large family gatherings, please, it's one year. Save yourself. Save yourself. Wear masks. Social distance. Do whatever you can to stay healthy. And uh, on that note, I will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Hollywood and the fire.